welcome, welcome listeners to another episode of Sulfate Podcast, where we talk to founders and builders in the Solana and crypto ecosystem more broadly. Today, we talked with Brian Long, who is one of the co-founders of Triton. Uh, holy crap, it was a good conversation. Wow. He, like so good. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like, like I, I'd never met him before. I had no idea what to expect. He is, uh, I mean, a f- phenomenal conversationalist, a lot of fun um, chatting with. Mm-hmm. and just incredibly knowledgeable and has been in the crypto space since basically day one. Like we're talking 2009 mining Bitcoin on a CPU sort of sort of situation. Throwback Super times. awesome conversation. Yeah. Oh, wow. The the conversation was so good. Uh, it's Brian is, is, yeah, like James said, Brian's been around the ecosystem. He's been running validators and, and RPCs on Solana since uh, just testnet days, like pre-mainnet launch. So that's that's just a frame of reference of how long he's been in the ecosystem. And Triton as an organization, like they're doing so many really great and amazing things. The the coolest thing we talked about, I think, is is Project Yellowstone. That's one of my favorite things that, that Triton does. And Project Yellowstone is basically this this massive undertaking of projects to improve the Solana RPC layer. And there's a whole bunch of different ones. We talk about the details from just ingesting so much data and actually storing that data on uh, on IPFS via Filecoin. And being able to have that data availability and and speed to access data in other ways, and it's just it's incredible engineering feats running hundreds of servers around the world just to to help maintain the Solana blockchain. It's it's awesome. Yeah, Triton Triton is doing some crazy things that I had honestly <laughs> no idea about. And in fact, like just yesterday was introduced to some of the things that um, Brian was talking to us about today, and, and it's it's all really awesome. So. Uh, you all will really enjoy this episode. Um, yeah, let's get into it. Nothing in this podcast is or should be considered financial advice. Any opinions and thoughts expressed are solely those of the individual. They do not represent the opinions of any entity. Enjoy. So, yeah, we were doing dry runs and then finally brought up testnet and then uh, brought up mainnet. So I've, I've had a chance to kind of see Solana not from the very beginning, you know, not from Greg's basement, but... <laughs> where they, they all started. Um, and, uh, but you know, still relatively early. So it's, it's been quite the ride. I, I okay. might just jump right. I have seen the picture of Greg's basement of them <laughs> racking of like them building the servers for the first yeah. validators. Uh, yeah. Dan Albert showed a bunch of us and it's like, it's a great story. I might, I might just start off the conversation like needling there a little bit with like, how so yeah. early? Like, what was the serendipity? What you know? Who did who did you meet or connect with that that made you be like an original in the Solana space? It, it was a mutual friend, um, and uh, he had introduced. He had talked about Solana um, and what they were building, and the and immediately for me, it was like, okay, that's what I've been waiting for. Um, and my, my exposure to crypto goes back to late 2009, early 2010, when I was mining Bitcoin on a CPU and, um, the, at the time it was cool tech. People were talking about it. Um, people were saying that, Hey, you know, Bitcoin is amazing. You're going to be able to go into a coffee shop and buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin. And, um, so I thought, okay, this is cool. It's a really neat idea. But at 10 transactions per second, no, this is not a global means of payment. Um, you know, and I, I was kind of right and kind of wrong. 
when I was telling people that Bitcoin is not the future of money, but it's a stepping stone to the future of money. And um, and then my friend was telling me about Solana, proof of history, and how they were breaking through the speed barrier for layer one. And for me, it was immediate. Yes, that's what I've been looking for. I want in. How can I do this? And uh, for me, the way in was to volunteer to run a validator. And um, <clears throat> and that's how I got involved. Yeah. Yeah. So That's that's awesome. It's also yeah, super cool, cool that, that you go far back in the crypto space, you know, uh, the broader crypto space, and that you sort of had a, a bit of a contrarian view on on Bitcoin. Not sounds like not contrarian and that you were like Bitcoin's not not a thing, but 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 it, in the sense of, hey, this might not be the the global payment system that that you guys it's not going to be that be. breakout moment that everyone was saying it was going to be. So so I, I might I might want to go backwards a little bit, actually, yeah. and, and talk about how you arrived at those conclusions early on, because I feel like that that's a challenging thing to have. Uh, to have thought in the early crypto days. Yeah. Well, at, at the time, Bitcoin was being sold as internet money for a coffee shop or for small transactions. And the narrative had, had to change because that was just never going to work, right? So then the narrative changed to being digital gold. And, um, and then it went a completely different direction. So I, I think the Bitcoin community had just kind of realized that, okay, you know, we need to pivot. <laughs> and it was uh, the narrative that pivoted. Uh, obviously, the chain hasn't really pivoted a whole lot until recently. Um, and uh, yeah, so I was reacting to that. I was reacting to the narrative that said, hey, this is coffee, coffee shop kind of money. Um, and I, I think I even remember telling people, what, it was maybe 2013-ish, that, you know, for me, what I'd love to see is I'd love to see an app on my iPhone where I could send a digital U.S. dollar, um, not a Bitcoin, not ETH, you know, a U.S. dollar. And uh, now as we jump forward 10 years, you know, we see what's happening today with USDC on Solana um, and, you know, how fast it is now to, to do exactly that. Right. And, you know, we all we all have wallets on our phones. We can all send dollars uh, within you know one or two seconds. So um, we did finally get there. Now we just need to get that mass market adoption. Right. Get to yeah. the billion. Yeah. That's that's super cool. The dream you were talking about ten years ago has has happened. Right? Finally. In yeah. fact, just just this morning I re I received a client payment in USDC on Solana and in a matter of seconds had sent it to Coinbase and then you know off ramp for, for just for business reasons. Yeah. Um, but you which I'd love I'd love to feel like I could keep all of my business payments and, and stuff on chain. That'd be, that'd be yeah. fantastic. But so, I'm, yeah. I'm curious, how has, how has your, I, I mean, it's like 10 years ago, you were saying, I'd love to send a digital dollar. Right. And that has happened. That's like, yep. that's amazing. Mm -hmm. So now I'm super curious to know, like, what is your, what's your current dream that hopefully 10 years from now, we'll be looking back and, and saying like, Hey, that's super awesome. Like this thing that you were talking about 10 years ago, has been realized. Yeah, it, honestly, I think it's still the same. Uh, it's mass adoption, and uh, the it's cool that we can do it now, but we're all doing it in pretty small circles, right? So um, we we need to see the size of the, the the circle or the pie start to grow 
and get beyond just us nerds that are trading dollars with each other and, and get to the broader community. Um, and that, uh, you know, we're starting to see that happen in, you know, in some countries, Venezuela, Argentina, um, where uh, crypto really matters. And um, we at Triton, we've got some, uh, some team members who work in Argentina, and uh, we also pay them in USDC. And uh, for them, it's much more stable than their, their local peso, right? And um, so, you know, I, I think what we'll see going forward is, is mass adoption, but maybe not in the, f in the countries or places that you think of first, right? It's going to be places like that, but not in America. Yeah, 100%. Um, and uh, yeah, so for me, that's it. It's mass adoption. Actually, while we're, while we're on the topic of, I'm curious if you know any about anything about like the logistics that those employees go through, if they're able to transact with USDC locally, or they have to off ramp it somewhere, or they're able to do everything in crypto. Cause I, I don't have a whole lot of context about a lot of other countries and how they're doing it. Cause each of the countries that are, I'll say more adopting crypto, they're doing it in very unique ways. So I'm, I'm curious, um, any insights you have there? You know, I, I don't, unfortunately, yeah, I don't dark. know how they <laughs> off ramp. Um, and uh, so I, I'm not sure how that works. But um, it is easy to see, though, that it's that kind of a climate, mm -hmm. where, you know, a digital dollar can be extremely valuable to the local community. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if they have um, a, an ecosystem popping up underneath the, the official ecosystem. Um, and yeah, uh that makes sense yeah yeah that's that that's that's a really good point about sort of the countries that adopt things may not be the ones we think of uh those of us who live in in you know the united states or or in europe uh it's it's easy to hear it's easy especially outside of the crypto space to hear people say like well i just don't understand why we need this right and it's because we have a pretty solid financial institutions. It, it's it's by no means perfect, right? Like our financial rails are not perfect. And I do think crypto can make can make payments cheaper, faster, etc. Um, but there are many places in the world where they just aren't financial rails full stop, at least not for your average person, <laughs> right? Uh, and, and, and something like Solana uh, makes I mean, makes payments possible in a way that they just weren't before, right? It's like you can get something on your phone in, you know, in, in a in a country that's maybe less developed, where normally you'd have to find like a Western Union branch and and pay like thirty percent of the of the total amount that you're trying to collect from somebody overseas in order to to get access to the money in the first place. Whereas instead, you pay a fraction of a penny to send a transaction on you know, in USDC and, and you're good. So that, I mean, it really, it really is, it's, it's hard, it's hard to, it's hard to convey the importance of that to someone who hasn't experienced that, uh, that difference. Yeah. But I think there are, but there, but there are literally billions of people who are in that scenario where, where getting money, you know, maybe they have friends and family who are sending them money from a more developed country and it's, outrageously expensive and there's a massive regulatory hurdle for them to get, get that money in it through the traditional, through traditional means. And, uh, we're, we're solving that. So I do, I do think the mass adoption is, is inevitable in some, in some ways, because it's not just, 
oh, 3% of the world is facing this problem. It's like, no, half-ish, maybe yeah. more than half <laughs> of the world is facing this problem. Yeah. We're stuck in our very first world bubble of, of thinking that it's not a problem when it really is. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Uh, when people ask me the same question, I do have to remind them that there's a lot of other people in the world that do not have the same freedoms that, that we have in America. Um, and, uh, that, uh, and like you said, even the, you know, the same financial infrastructure. Um, but you know, when I think of, uh, Russia, China, for example, of places where they just don't have the freedom that, that they want, um, that yes, absolutely. That there, there will be alternatives. There are alternatives for them. And we just need to see that, that part of the ecosystem grow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's another huge point, right? It's like, I was approaching it from a financial infrastructure standpoint, uh, but, but you're right, even from sort of a political climate standpoint and what, what are you allowed to do with the traditional money versus what could you do if you were working outside of that system? Super, super interesting. I, um, I, I mean, so the, so the dream now for you is, is mass adoption. And I feel, I feel pretty confident that 10 years from now we'll, we'll look back and, and think like, oh yeah, we've, we we've had so much more adoption and it make and it makes so much more sense to people now than it did 10 years ago. I'm curious how how you view like your role personally in 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 the realization of that dream over the next decade. Yeah, like, what do I you mean for us accomplish? Yeah, I mean for us um uh, and for me, you know, it I guess we found a niche on the infrastructure side. You know, so trying to build the infrastructure to support that future and that vision. And um, where we're at right now is a good start. Um, it's uh, There's a lot of work to be done to really scale up to that level. And uh, so the RPC infrastructure side, we need a more scalable RPC stack, for example. Um, the... The software itself has gotten, it's actually, you know, it's so much better. Um, we just need to acknowledge where we've been, right? You know, with, with restarts and uh, software that uh, was still really early stage, had a lot of rough edges, but we're way past that now. Um, and so, you know, software improvements, uh, it's easy to get excited about what fire dancer is doing as well. Uh, those, those guys are brilliant. Their software appears like it's going to be amazing and that, um, it will make, it will make it easier for us to scale up. Um, and, uh, so that, you know, that's kind of where I've, I'm finding my fit and in, in my spot right now. Um, awesome. yeah. Can can you, mo most of our listeners, I, I at least think are, are developers. And so they might more or less know the answer to this, to this question. But, um, for those who maybe aren't or, or are less familiar with, with, uh, how all this works under the hood, could you explain where, where Triton and Triton's products sort of fit in, in the Solana stack, if you will? Um, yeah. So if you are a user of an application, uh, your favorite DeFi application, um, you're looking at a website or an app on a phone, uh, you're looking at the front end and, and that front end needs to talk to the blockchain. And, um, it does that through the RPC services, um, that are essentially the back end. Um, you can think of it as the cloud, 
if um you know everybody talks about the cloud right that's kind of what's happening yeah 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 (laughs) your front end is talking to the back end and in a blockchain world the rpc is the back end and um, that back end needs to be able to run fast effective Um, solana is capable of real-time data streaming at a process commitment level um which means you do get instantaneous results, right? Things just happen quickly. And um, unlike other blockchains where you've got to wait for a you know certain number of blocks or a certain amount of time, uh, you don't have to do that on Solana. And so, um, you know, the backend needs to be able to scale up and manage uh, a user base that, you know, will be in the millions and billions. So let's actually kind of like dive into that because yes, it needs to be very fast and, and Triton is no is is not shying away from that. Like everything that is is Project Yellowstone is such a large portion of these efforts that are just making all of these improvements. In fact, I recently just saw the the SIMD that uh, Linus had had co-authored, I guess, to uh, make some of those improvements and roll it into the the core protocol. Can you talk about what is Project Yellowstone and what are some of those like? Because you've you've told me some of this before when we met in person at the New York Hacker House, and you were blowing my mind of all of the things that is Project Yellowstone. So, can you share some of the details of of some of the amazing work that you all are, are doing with that? Yeah, yeah, thanks. The um, and for context, uh, Solana has the Geyser feature. Um, Geyser started out as the Accounts DB plugin. I actually thought that was a horrible marketing name. <laughs> so I uh, went back to labs and said, hey, let's do something better here. And uh, so then the, the name that... Better uh, than Accounts DB? That... Yeah, Accounts DB plugin. It <laughs> we're, just... we're, we're trying to go from zero to one here. <laughs> <laughs> we need a better name. <clears throat> and um, so uh, so anyway, so Geyser was the name that was chosen. And uh, because, you know, Geyser is just, you know, if you imagine instead of spouting water that it's spouting data and uh, it's a real-time streaming interface coming out of the validator where we can stream data out and then manage and deliver the data in different ways um uh, so that's geyser and then we were building a suite of projects um, that use the geyser functionality and we decided to have an umbrella name called project yellowstone for yellowstone national park because that's where all the geysers are right and then, um, and then what the we did is, connecting. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then what we did is each of the projects underneath that is named after an actual geyser in Yellowstone. Um, so we, we pulled up the Wikipedia page for <laughs> geysers in Yellowstone and we started picking out the cool names. Um, and, uh, the uh, Dragon's Mouth, for example, our GRPC uh, plugin uh, is called Dragon's Mouth, and uh, that's the name of a geyser in Yellowstone. Um, and uh, so that is a GRPC plugin that um, traders and other people can use to access and stream data into a backend. Um, GRPC by itself doesn't really work with a web browser, but certainly works for trading bots or any other backend application. And um, the so Dragon's Mouth is, I think, now second or third iteration of the GRPC tech. Um, and what we did is we added subscriptions. So it's a two-way interface. 
and you can subscribe to a GRPC subscription just like you could a WebSocket subscription. And um, and that we did. It's fully open source. Um, we're you know we're encouraging everybody in the community to, to use it. Give us feedback. You know, send us PRs to make it better. Um, and, uh, but we, you know, that's not proprietary in our minds in any way that that's for the ecosystem. And, um, so that was the kind of the first piece that we did under Yellowstone is build up the Dragon's Mouth GRPC plugin. So cool. That sounds awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Not, I, not I, only I a curious. phenomenal name and, and name scheme, but <laughs> the, the, the tech that's powering it all underneath is just so amazing. Like there's what, four, four primary uh, projects underneath of Yellowstone right now, right? Four-ish? Yeah. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. And then we've got um, uh, some others that um, are uh, custom cases. Um, the one is called Steamboat. And which is also, it's also the name of a, a ski resort, but it is the name of a geyser in Yellowstone. And um, uh, so Steamboat is our accelerator for get program accounts. And the, um, what we're doing there is we're building custom indexes for specifically for certain programs. And the, um, the reason we did that is that we could accelerate the performance of GPA. So um, one example would be the stake program. Whenever you open a wallet and look at your stake accounts, that when you that particular query triggers get program accounts on the stake program, and then with some filters that that get passed in to filter the results that go back to you in your wallet. Um, runtime for that particular query for a wallet was two thousand milliseconds on the server. Plus, you add in the network latency to and from, right? It's slow, and that's why it always felt slow. Um, but by using custom indexes in the background, we actually made that 99% faster. Um, so it doesn't use the current RPC stack. It, it uses um, a, basically a sidecar database with some custom indexing. Oh, um, that's a, that's a so massive improvement. Yeah. So I'm guessing then when, yeah, massive improvement indeed. GPA is hands down the slowest thing of Solana. Yep. yep. <laughs> and so from like the technical side of that is how you're handling that is basically when people hit uh, a Triton server, a Triton RPC, you catch the the RPC method and you just don't send that to the normal RPC. You send it over to that sidecar then you can handle all of that stuff that's that's indexed in like a separate database. Is that like how mm-hmm. it works under the hood? Okay. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So there's a routing layer uh, when the request comes in. It hits. Uh, there's a request router that will then look to say, okay, what what is the request? What are the parameters? And where? Which backend am I going to send this to? Um, that's cool. And um, so we did that. Uh, Whirly Gig, um, which I thought was the best name ever. Uh, Whirly gig, um, <laughs> and uh, that's the WebSocket interface that is sitting on top of Dragon's Mouth right now, and so it allows uh, you to use just basically a WebSocket interface into the uh, the same backend. Um, there's one super cool feature about Dragon's Mouth, so I'm going to pop back to that for a minute, and the. Um, it's at a process commitment level. 
So um, the if people are uh, familiar with the three different commitment levels on Solana, um, processed means that the validator has processed the transaction, but it is not yet confirmed. Um, and it's not confirmed by the other validators in the cluster. So, um, so you've got processed and then confirmed means that there, you know, we've had uh, at least 34% of the validators in the stake have optimistically confirmed that this block is valid and acceptable. And then finally, we get to uh, that, that final or that rooted status um, where you've got over the 67% threshold. And um, so with uh, Geyser, when we're streaming data at a process commitment level, we're seeing transactions real time. So as they happen, as they're coming off of the validator, we don't have to wait until the end of the slot. And which the, the standard WebSocket implementation in Solana, what you do is you get a single account state update at the end of the slot. You don't see what's in the middle. But if you're a trader, you want to see what's in the middle. And uh, because you want to be able to react to that quicker um, and get your get your, your ARB transaction back in as fast as you possibly can to beat your competitors. So, um, uh, so with that, coming through Dragon's Mouth and uh, GRPC plugin, that we can then now have that same level of resolution on a web browser. And um, so the uh, so what you're getting there is you're getting a real you know resolution like you could never get before, and you absolutely cannot get on any other blockchain, um, and uh, which is really cool. So that that's why I like talking about real time data streaming with Solana because there's just nobody else that can do that. Yeah, it's only possible on Solana. That's right. So much data so quickly with so quick finality is is. Second to none, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's that's, yeah. that's pretty crazy, actually. Uh, like to to expose that. That's that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. And we're going to see more of that. Um, you know, we're going to see more of that. Um, Soulflare. Um, the uh, they're doing some great stuff when you do a transaction in Soulflare. Um, they're showing you an immediate response at a process commitment level. And uh, so, you know, the, the reaction time yeah, is instantaneous. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. Um, that's, yeah. that's way cool. Yeah, and then we did uh, the other project then called Old Faithful. Ooh, this, one, this one the is, big is one, hands down. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's the big one that is uh, <laughs> the hot topic. And yes, all, please share all the details about Old Faithful, how it works and how the the i guess relationship with protocol labs and how that kind of came about I'm, mm -hmm. I'm very curious yeah yeah so um and to kind of lay the lay the stage for the conversation um you know a developer uh, when they're new to solana um you know they're they're starting to learn how it works they want to start writing some code they may also be interested in running their own rpc stack and uh, so they want to be able to spin up an RPC server, learn about that, and then write their application against their own server. Um, what they quickly learn after that is they do not have access to the history. So you don't get access to the full ledger of Solana um, going all the way back to Epoch Zero, Block Zero, right? Um, the 
And that kind of sucks <laughs> that, you know, I mean, you should be able to spin up an RPC node on a blockchain and have visibility into the history. That's what blockchains are about. Right. And, um, the, uh, at the moment it, that history is in big table and Google big table. Um, and there's only, I don't know if there's five or six people that have instances or replicas that we're all maintaining, um, independently. And, um, that means that if you want to get the history, you have to go through a gatekeeper and that kind of sucks that, you know, you shouldn't have to go through a gatekeeper to get to the history that should be there. So, um, Linus Kendall, uh, one of our co-founders, um, along with Richard Patel, uh, many people know Richie from, he's on the fire dancer team, uh, amazing, amazing engineer. And, uh, the two of them were talking, in London a year and a half ago um, at St. Pancras Station. We're just going to call it the St. Pancras meeting because this is where it all started. <laughs> and um, and they were talking about ways and ideas to make this archive history available and to do it in a way that we could deliver the data at a large scale because this, you know, you know Solana has got a lot of data, um, especially compared to other blockchains. So, they uh, like they did some napkin engineering terabytes right now something like that. Yep, currently and about two hundred fifty one cluster. Two hundred fifty terabytes uh, right yeah. now is what we uh, what we've got in the the old faithful archive now. Um, and uh, so yeah, those guys did the engineering work, uh, just napkin engineering, right? To say, hey, if we could do it like this, we could do that. We can use this file format, and um, and then they came up with some great ideas. So. Um, the that's the problem that we're trying to solve is that we want to make the history available uh, for anybody in the ecosystem to be able to spin up their own RPC node and get access. Um, let's see. You had asked about protocol labs. Um, so this is kind of where Filecoin enters the conversation, um, and uh, which is really cool because now we've got two layer ones that are working together. Um, and, you know, collaborating in a very positive and synergistic way. So actually real quick, do you mind mm -hmm. if I set the stage on protocol labs? Cause Great. Yeah, most, most people don't know of protocol labs. They know of their, their, I guess I'll call it a product, I guess. Um, so protocol labs is the organization that's behind IPFS, the interplanetary file system, which Filecoin is the, I guess I'll call it the monetary layer backing IPFS. So it incentivizes people to pin that data to post that data that's uploaded to IPFS and Filecoin incentivizes them financially to basically serve that data. So the protocol labs is that's, that's kind of the background on them for those of, of the listeners that don't know. Yeah. And uh, so it was a good conversation. Um, uh, I believe it was uh, Richie Patel who said that, Hey, we should use IPF, IPFS, <laughs> IPFS, we should use Filecoin. And uh, there's a file format that he recommended called a CAR file format uh, for archiving. Um, the point being is that it's content addressable. And um, the reason that it works well with Filecoin is that we can throw a, a 500 gigabyte file onto Filecoin. And if you need to pull a transaction out of that 500 gig file, you don't need to download the entire file. You can say, I want to grab only these bytes. 
So there's 1K of bytes in the middle of this file. Just send me those. So um, that means that we can actually get realistic and reasonably good download speeds coming from IPFS. Um, that same format is also available or works well, I should say, on any S3 compatible storage um, because uh, S3 will support an HTTP range request. So you can say, you know, out of this big file, give me these 1K bytes starting here and ending here. And so then by getting all 250 terabytes and growing, you know, because it grows by 500 gig every, every two days, um, getting that loaded out onto publicly addressable storage like that means that the developer who's trying to spin up their own little RPC node, they don't need to have 250 terabytes or 500 terabytes or a petabyte of storage because it's already out there in a way that they can access it. And that's huge. You know, that that's what we were going for. Yeah, just let that sit in, let that settle in, listeners. Like, <laughs> that is such a massive undertaking and is such a lift for the Solana ecosystem that most non-developers won't appreciate that, I think, unfortunately. But I think like any developer, they would think and think about like the implications of that. And it is it is huge. This is a, a massive it's, undertaking and it's so it's, amazing. It's kind of it's kind of the linchpin for for like the crypto dream, right? Is is to have all of this information decentralized, but also easily accessible at the same time. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. And 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 before and it's like and without this, the information still exists. And if you if and if you can get access to that information, you can verify, you know, that sort of follow the chain uh, to to make sure it's all accurate. Uh, but it but it's challenging to to do. Right. Like it's not. Mm -hmm. It's a very non trivial task. I right. would never. I, I consider myself a, a decent engineer, and I and I would never. Uh, undertake that that task without a really good reason, <laughs> right? Uh, really, really good incentive. Um, but but to but to make that you know possible is is huge. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it it's all like I'll, I'll give you an example, right? Like one of the one of the challenges with um, with like state compression right now is that if you if you aren't indexing um, compression events as as they're happening. You, you will fairly quickly lose access to those transaction logs, which is where the data actually lives. Mm -hmm. And so, it, and so it's like this, it's this weird thing where like, well, it is on chain because it, it went, it went through the chain and, and it lives on the, on the chain state somehow, but not in like a readable form. Right. Um, and so this is one of those things where it's like, you could go back and say, Hey, this is the transaction where it happened. I can look at the logs. I can verify that this compressed NFT actually has the data that it says independent of the the indexing that you know sort of exists with the with the DAS API and stuff. So so now there's sort of multiple entry points for for confirming this or, or verifying the accuracy and validity of of data, which is which is really awesome. Yeah, yeah. And so this project we're really focused on the data availability layer, um, and but not the data delivery layer. And data delivery might be where you have performance come into play. Um, to, to say, okay, you know, great, I've got access, but now I want really, really fast access. And, um, but it's that same file format since it's so portable that, you know, you could, uh, if somebody wants to uh, download it from Filecoin and put it into a nearby S3 storage, they can do that. 
um, if they have a really big data center with petabytes of storage, then of course they could even bring it in local and still access it, you know, the same way. So, um, so that's all pretty cool. Um, the, uh, the one catch though, is the index files are pretty big. So, um, <laughs> I can imagine. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so under the 250 terabytes right now, there's just over 50 terabytes of indexes. Um, wow, so it's cool. still, it's still not a, a small, lot. yeah, Interesting. it's not, it's not a raspberry Pi kind of thing. Um, <laughs> Soon, um, so, so this is, this is, uh, <laughs> I mean, this is just project Yellowstone, which is yeah. already a subset of what Triton sort of works on and, mm -hmm. and delivers to, to customers. That's a lot. That's a lot of stuff. So I, I maybe want to uh, pivot a, a second from the technical mm -hmm. and maybe just talk about the, the, the organization and, and, and the business and, and the management behind it, right? Sure. Uh, I'm curious how many people um, work, at, work at Triton? Like how, how large is the organization? Yeah, I think we're at 10. We're spread around the globe. Um, That's it, 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're pretty lean. Um, uh, spread around the globe. So with three different regions, uh, and so literally the sun never sets for us, just like on a blockchain, it never sets. And, uh, we've got staff, uh, in Europe, uh, South America, four people down there. Um, in Asia, we've got Philippines, uh, Thailand, India. Um, and, uh, we're very heavy on the DevOps side. So, you know, th these are the admins that are keeping the servers running, uh, responding to client requests and things like that. Um, dev side, uh, we've got Linus Kendall, our co-founder, who's our lead engineer, um, and then Immaterial Inc. Um, on Twitter, and then also Corel. Really, they're um, they're a Triton. I didn't realize they were a Triton. That's, yeah, that's cool. and he's actually um, he's carrying most of the water and doing most of the work on Old Faithful. So <laughs> nice. Yeah. That, yeah. That's an like insane it. amount of work for a ten-person organization. How, like, how are you so, how are you guys so productive? Like well, how, do, how do you it, ship so much? It's probably <laughs> about the stuff we don't do as well. Cause we don't, I mean, we're a lean team. You know, I don't have a blog that I update every day. Um, <laughs> I, you know, we, there's just a lot of things that we don't do. We're just really focused on the taking the standard RPC specification and making it as fast as it can possibly be. Um, and, uh, you know, at this point we've chosen not to do extra stuff that sits on top of RPC, you know, so we haven't done any extra indexing. We haven't done any custom APIs yet or anything like that. Um, we're just really, really focused on this one thing. So. What, how, how much of, how much of your internal resources go to non-technical business management tasks, like, like marketing, like you know, that, that's honestly, it's pretty, it's pretty small as a percentage. We're, we're very heavy on DevOps and engineering and very light on the other stuff. Yeah. So yeah. makes sense. And, I and, imagine and, you have and so quite literally like... servers around the world that you're trying to maintain uptime on plus yeah, the yeah. databases, plus, yeah. you know, all of that stuff. So mm -hmm. no small feat. Yeah. So from like a customer acquisition standpoint, you just feel like if we build the best stuff, if we have the fastest you know, way to get data, people will find their way here by necessity. Is that sort of the, the philosophy? 
That's how it's always worked for us. Yeah. Yeah. It's been referrals, um, doing a good job. And, um, and then the community is small enough right now that referrals matter and Mm -hmm. reputation matters. And yeah, um, that, that is changing over time. And, you know, we'll see as the ecosystem grows where BD and marketing, you know, need to be much more aggressive, uh, than, than we are today. Um, and, uh, but, uh, historically for us, uh, it's been hard work, do a good job for our customers, deliver a good service, and then they'll refer us to their friends. Cool. And correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but in addition to sort of your, your technical prowess, you, you have a background in, in business, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm more of a business guy than a developer. I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, trained engineer. Um, I don't have a CSI degree or anything like that. I'm a business guy. And, uh, I but, had to, but, a, but a business guy who was mining Bitcoin. Yeah. In the early days. So <laughs> yeah. like as a, take it with a grain of salt type of, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did have to learn how to code to start my first business. And, um, so yeah, I, I picked up a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, software development along the way, but again, I'm not. A, I wouldn't call myself an engineer. Um, I'm just a, a guy who knows how to write some code. So, so, so it, it, I mean, it sounds like <clears throat> it sounds like then you're not too worried about hey, when the time comes that we do have to focus on on business development and and that sort of thing, we'll handle it. I I know how to do that. I'm not too worried about it. That right. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Yeah, exactly. Which yep. is which is not which is not the case for everybody in the Solana ecosystem. Like there there are a bunch of founders in the space who have never done mm-hmm. sort of business management of any kind before. They're devs who are taking their first stab at, mm-hmm. at a business, yep. which I think is awesome. Yeah. Um, but 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 the but the notion of how to run a business might keep them up at night. Right. <laughs> Uh, where, where that's, where that's not going to be the case for you. It sounds like. Right. Yeah, exactly. Definitely with a, a business background that, that part, yeah, is, um, feel like it's pretty well handled and, um, we're also a bootstrapped company. So we, uh, you know, we just, it was three guys and, you know, six servers and we went from there. That's amazing. No, you've had no funding. No, um, no, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. That's way yeah. cool. And, and, uh, yeah, How many surfers uh, do you guys have now? <laughs> um, several hundred. So I mean, that that whole that ride up and down was just something else. And <laughs> yeah, um, I, I hadn't even thought of that yet. It's like, yeah, of course you yeah. were here. You were there from the very beginning and, and rode the wave all the way up and all the way down. Yep. And how I would. I mean, whatever you want to talk about in that in that range, I'd love to hear it. It was <laughs> the emotional I, roller coaster, it, the financial it, roller coaster. It. Yeah, <laughs> it was so insane. Um, and because uh, we we took over the mainnet RPC service from Solana Labs, and there were six servers running. We had two in each region: Asia, Europe, and North America. And and that's all we needed at the time, right? It was just it was a brand new network. Um, and, uh, the first hackathon came through step finance was one of the teams that uh, was in that very first hackathon and they did their coin launch and absolutely killed the cluster. (laughs) And, um, so we, uh, I had a spare validator node, uh, Marco Bruken, uh, one of our co-founders, he's also a validator on Solana. He had a spare node. And uh, that weekend, uh, both Linus and Marco were up the entire weekend, basically moving traffic around the globe wherever they could get a healthy server. 
and uh, that we moved my spare node into the RPC fleet. We moved Marco's spare node into the RPC fleet, and it was just absolutely insane. Um, and uh, but that sounds it sounds so stressful. But we got it done, right? <laughs> I mean, so they had a successful launch, and uh, and then from there, it just kept going and going and going. So Serum started to take off. Um, the, uh, certainly the influence of FTX, you know, on, on that way up, um, 2020. Way yeah, yeah, definitely. There was that part <laughs> of it too. Yeah. Um, in 2020, we could not add servers fast enough and, uh, Solana foundation, um, with a ton of foresight, uh, pulled together the Solana server program. And what they did is they prearranged with a whole bunch of bare metal providers to have servers available for the Solana community. And um, so we were participating in that program. Uh, Genesis Go uh, popped up at that same time. Um, other RPC providers were starting to come in. And we were basically taking servers out of the, um, the server program as fast as they were coming in. And, you know, I, I remember one weekend... I basically on an emergency basis, I said, guys, I need 60 servers and I need them by Monday. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, it was because uh, there were so many launches going on. And um, the uh, so we, you know, we then they got it done. They, they got the servers for us. We got them online and, you know, we just somehow managed to keep up with the growth and uh, um, all the traffic that was coming in. Uh, and Gen Go was doing the exact same thing. So, you know, we're, you know, we were each running three or 400 servers at the peak. Um, and this is a network that started with six servers a year before. Um, it was, it was just an That's insane so ride. Yeah. We're running low on time here. I want to make sure that you get a chance, Brian, to, to talk about what matters to you and your organization. Right. Um, you know, so I guess this is, this is the time for me to say, is there, is there anything that you want to shill if you will um say say to listeners spread awareness about etc well yeah again for us at triton um the focus is taking the standard rpc spec and making it faster and uh so scaling you know behind the standard api um and then also solving what we th you know we think are big problems like that storage and archive problem um and the uh you know that that's a big deal and, and that's what i want people to know about and really care about is you know okay how can we start to integrate um and actually get visibility to uh, to be able to see the full blockchain and see the full history and to be able to do it when it's at a petabyte scale um and because it won't be too many years until we're there um you know the number of transactions we've got today is so much higher than it was a few years ago um, and so, um, that's where we're focused as a company and the kind of problems that we're trying to solve. Yeah. That's awesome. Cool. You, Amazing. I mean, you are, you are succeeding at, at solving everything you just said, it sounds like. Um, <laughs> so, so th I mean, thank you so much on, on behalf of the ecosystem for, for everything that yeah. you guys have, thank have you. built. I was just on a, uh, in a conversation over Twitter yesterday talking about, you know, um, the uh custom indexes so St steamboat ah, I guess is, is what it is great. um so so yeah really really cool stuff um that's that's something i'm planning to dig into more personally but mm -hmm. th 
thanks so much for joining us, Brian. This has been a fantastic conversation. You have a wealth of knowledge that I would love to dig into further. We'd love to have you on again sometime. It'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be a lot of fun. We'll get a beer together sometime too. I would love it. You're, you're in Boulder, right? Is that? Yes. Although at the moment I'm sitting in London. Okay. But, but your home base is Colorado. I'm in Utah. So I'm just, I'm just right next door. Oh, great. Meet up sometime um, for a weekend, go, go skiing or something. Nice. Nice. Sounds really good. (laughs) Cool. Well, thanks so much to the listeners. We'll see y'all next time. (laughs) Awesome. And I guess that's, that's a wrap for the day. All right. Great. Thanks Thanks, guys. See ya. Bye.